Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to the latest episode of a Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. This is Mike Delisio. And without Sebastian today, I know a lot of you who listen to the podcast are going to be slightly disappointed, but extremely happy to find out. I have somebody who's been with the podcast, God knows how many episodes, Gus, mm-hmm. uh, but none other than our chief scientific officer, Gus Bassani. Ah, it's great to be here. You know, it's, here. we always make a joke that whenever you're on the podcast, it's probably the most fun we have. And now I get a chance to co-host with you today. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. We do have fun. We do have fun. We do. I, I may not. I hope I live up to expectations uh, that, that, you know, given that Sebastian's not here, but big shoes to fill big shoes, but you're bringing that radio voice and that's what everybody loves. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, Without further ado, we're going to jump right into it because we have a very special guest, um, somebody who we've had a relationship at the company for a very long time, none other than the CEO and president of Richie Specialty Pharmacy, none other than Mr. Richie Ray. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate the opportunity. Richie, it's a pleasure uh, to have you on the podcast. Like I mentioned, you've had a partnership with PCCA for quite some time, not only within your pharmacy, being an active PCCA member, but as well as some of the other business opportunities that you ventured off to over the last couple of decades. Uh, For those that are not familiar with you, maybe we can get into more of your backstory, how you you started in compounding, uh, when you joined PCCA, and, and what that journey has led you towards now in 2022, and some of the great things that you're doing out there. Okay. So I guess I won't go back to inception as far as that that far back, but grew up in East Texas. I went to pre-pharmacy school up in Arkansas at Harding. I came back to Houston for pharmacy school. I graduated in 1996. I worked locally for a gentleman for a couple of years. Um, preceding that, I had been defined by my dad of having no work ethic. And so uh, he had me unloading mineral wool uh, during the summers, and then the evenings I would go to Drug Emporium uh, in East Texas, and this was when it was just indemnity plans, people paid cash. Uh, I was a tech clerk, kind of a man of all hats, and, and really enjoyed the aspects, enjoyed the patient interaction. Um, I hate blood. I like drugs, and so seemed to be pharmacist, seemed to be a natural path, and so when I graduated, I had a lot of job offers, um, wasn't near the top of my class at all, uh, but I had a firm grasp on the English language and I was relatable. And uh, I followed the guidance of a pharmacist that I interned with of saying, cut your hair shorter because I had a mullet at the time. And he stated to have shorter hair that people don't want to take advice from somebody that looked the way I did. So all that advice. Um, After those three years, I decided to open my own uh, and God had just some interesting paths uh, along the way. Uh, opened the pharmacy, did not compound at all. Um, started to want to differentiate ourselves. Um, introduced to PCCA through, through various aspects. And, and truth be known, the relationship early on um, was not nearly as, as strong as it is now. It was maybe even tenuous would be the right wording uh, because in our geographical area, I guess there were some independents that might not have wanted another independent uh, having access. And so work through some of those different aspects. Um, fast forward several years, we were probably about 
20, 30% of what we did was compounding, uh, but we're also retail. We had a Walmart move in next to us and I was kind of excited about it. I thought that they would take some of the retail business and that we would continue in this hybrid model because we were rapidly becoming adequate at everything and great at nothing because we weren't specialized. And it was just five, six, 700 prescriptions a day. And we elected to exit the retail side, uh, sold that to CVS at the time, uh, maintained the compounding specialty. Specialty in 2008-ish uh, is not what specialty is today. Uh, if I had to rename it, it would be Richie's special but not so special pharmacy. Uh, and that would probably make more sense. Uh, we do a lot of things that you could have access to at regular retail pharmacies, but they would be medications used in new and unique ways. Uh, a lot of that is, is compounded, and a lot of it is commercially available medications that nobody really had ever thought of utilizing in certain ways. Uh, examples would be Levaflox is an oral solution. Smells kind of grapey, tastes kind of grapey, but if you apply that directly to causative organisms, uh, we have academic technical reports that show that that results in bacterial cell death. And so the idea of a bug and drug collide, bug dies, is that part is intuitive. You know, I, I gain weight eating chocolate cake, not looking at it. And so how do you make that happen in a broader sense? And so at the time we pursued different patents, probably from a, a defensive posturing aspect, we thought that maybe one day somebody might like them. Um, we thought also that kind of like Apple and IBM, they compete with one another. And then they say, tell you what, let's have freedom to operate. Some of your patents, we violate some of the ones we have you violate, let's just operate. And so patents went on through those different aspects. I really didn't know exactly what was going to do with them. Uh, again, uh, God opened some unique doors and through that CMPD was born. Uh, CMPD now holds over 45 issued patents and continues to grow. We got another six in the last couple of weeks. And so many of them are Patents around commercially available medications used in new and unique ways. Others are very specific down to a compounding medication, specific formulation, specific aspects, specific uses. And through that methodology, uh, we work with pharmacies all across the U.S. and more willing uh, in, in subsequent years, we'd like to take that from an international standpoint as well. Uh, there's some opportunities to do that as in addition to. And so we work with pharmacies from 30 of the 50 states thus far. Um, licensees cover all 50 states and they get the education, the research, the different aspects that CMPD brings that obviously Richie is, Richie especially pharmacy has learned a lot of different things. CMPD holds those different patent aspects and we, we educate and we, we train on here's a drug that can be used in a clinically strong, ethically strong manner that also can be fiscally sound. Because at the end of the day, everybody that's watching this podcast is entrepreneur and everybody is trying to provide medications to effectuate a change in patients, to solve a problem that a prescriber has in a way that makes clinical sense. And you need to make some money doing it in a manner that a payer or a regulator otherwise looks at it and goes, that makes sense. Um, I could keep going. I know that you have, and I don't know if you want me to keep going on that, sir, but, uh, or I can take a breath and take a drink of water. Yeah, quick, you, you can take a breath. We're going to, I'm going to unpack something really important because it, I think it, 
calls attention to your journey. And then I'm sure we're going to discuss CMPD in more detail. I know your background in compounding pharmacy is fascinating, so I don't, I don't want to ignore it, but we'll obviously have an opportunity to dig in deeper into what CMPD is and, and what it really represents to those that are listening to the podcast. But before we get to that, I guess my curiosity is we always call attention to the triad. We always talk about, you know, the patient, the pharmacist, the, the, the pharmacist role in, in that amazing relationship. There's something that's very unique in your story because a lot of individuals who compound can spend decades doing it um, and obviously pay keen attention to that triad, making sure that those relationships are sound and that you're delivering the best pharmaceutical outcomes and therapies for those patients. At what point, Richie, was the, the need for patents? How did patents really come into the entire picture for you? Because um, that's very unique. And, and I think for those that are listening to the podcast, listening to your journey of you know, your pharmacy background, how you opened up your, your first store and how it became a specialty pharmacy with a focus on compounding, what led you to the need for patents and then obviously the establishment of CMPD? You're right. I think the word patent or patents, plural, uh, either or, and some pharmacists mind uh, is a four-letter word and creates negativity associated with those different aspects. And I can I appreciate that viewpoint. I think I've done a, a poor job early on uh, of not educating people about me, about sharing my story, about sharing the doors that got opened. I don't have an intent to use patents as a hammer. Um, the initial time that we pursued those was, again, a, a defensive posture and the hope that one of these would, would take life and, and maybe a big pharma company. So more along the way would go, you know, we're about to make XYZ and that violates this patent. And there could be some sort of monetary exit associated with that or some protective aspects of, well, you're violating the patent. Here's some, here's some different things, you know, would you like to acquire it? Because obviously, we could not make something that is reflective of a commercially available product. But having that patent, again, is there a way to, to monetize that further? Um, I think that a lot of pharmacists believe, okay, you're, you're trying to stop us from doing something. Uh, there was a pharmacist years ago that did just that. Uh, it was specific aspects around one particular calcium channel blocker and that particular one at the time, at least from what I heard and, and saw in practice, they did use as a hammer and it was an aspect to stop. I don't have that. You know, it's a, it's a licensing fee if Mike was in Georgia and I would present to you and go, look, these are some different things that, that we found value in. And here's the clinical and here's the different aspects and you, you owe a licensing fee associated with it. It's, it's a single digit percentage. Uh, it's nothing egregious. It's nothing that is onerous associated with it. And, and you move forward in those processes. My hope through that line is the more people that do things correctly, the more sustainable these treatment options are, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, and Richie, uh, on that note, and just, and just kind of observing how uh, your practice has evolved and CMPD has come in, in, into being, it struck me and still strikes me that you have a, a high degree of intuition and vision into the marketplace and you, to, to be able to see opportunities. And when I say opportunities, I, there's opportunities to help people in unique ways um, that is overlaid with a, you know, 
a good business opportunity too. So you're, 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 you seem to be very adept at uh, identifying ways to, uh, to help your patients, but also, you know, find those meaningful business opportunities for, for your licensees. And uh, that, that to me is, is, and, and I know I've known you for a while. I know your business ethic is, is, is quite high. And, you know, lately you've been, you know, uh, very interested in the science side and evaluating things scientifically, you know, getting into in vitro studies and, and, and the like, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But, um, but it, it just, that, that kind of magic spot of clinical value, fiscal value, you know, and then overlaid, of course, just the fiber of doing things ethically. Cause we, cause to your point in the, in the marketplace over, if anybody who's been in this, in this market for a while, there have been some things that have occurred and, and that, that weren't so ethical, you know, that were, were some bad behaviors out there and you're antithetical to that. Um, and I, I can see that from what I've, I've, I've observed, but I mean, you, so I just kind of went on a little bit of a diatribe there, but I, 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 I was hoping maybe you could, you could talk about um, maybe dive into that, that approach a bit more, because it's not just that, Hey, you've got, you saw this opportunity, you've got a patent and you're licensing those opportunities to members, albeit that's a part of it, but then you've got a, a system of support that goes along with that, you know, some training, some information. So people are aware, maybe you could, maybe you could speak to that. And I think the the aspects there there are circles that don't that overlap to a degree. The training, the education associated with it is is separate and apart from that. Because if Gus Bassani did X Y Z, it falls underneath the patent. Um, I wouldn't be obligated to provide you training education associated with it to say, hey, you need to take a license because it falls under the patent. Um, we do it because you'd like independent pharmacies in general, and you'd like approaches to be here for years. You know, I've got 19, 21, 22 year old daughters. I've got a wife I've been married to for 30 years next January, 2024. And we have two little boys that we adopted and they're two and a half. And as anybody's in the pharmacy space has seen, there are, there are a number of bad actors. Uh, it doesn't mean everybody is, but there's enough to effectuate a change where third party payers and plan sponsors uh, have a negative taste in their mouth, a visceral response to independent pharmacy in general. How can we change that? Can CMPD through business ethics models that these are the commitments these pharmacies have made and sharing that with payers that can you make it where independent pharmacy, a subset of us are viewed very positively. Can you enter a world where you know you create value? Um, the anti-infective world, in my opinion, is one such area. I think of what we do is that weird train that you see that has two cabooses at the end. We're the second caboose. You've exhausted every commercially available aspect that you possibly could do to treat the infection. It's still there. What do we do? And I think that particular world is a great one to be in because you can add value. You can show um, there's no subjectivity to it. Uh, we did hormone replacement for a while, which a lot of PCCA pharmacies do. Uh, we exited that in 2011. My wife jokes that I sold her as well when we exited that model. Um, but there's subjectivity there. Uh, there's feelings. There's different aspects. I infections have no feelings. It's either pseudomonas is there. It's not. It it's a binary situation. 
And I think that Excel spreadsheet oriented aspect to me uh, resonates as well as the fact that I can prove it to a third party. This person had this in their lungs. Here's the scan that showed it. They no longer have it in their lungs. Here's the scan that shows it. There's no subjectivity. Um, now you might get into the clinical questions of different aspects, what literature do you have to support the different things that you do. But that is a very, again, binary situation. It was there, it's not. And I, I like that world. Awesome, awesome. What, uh, so what, what drives Richie Ray? What, 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 what gets you up every morning? You know, I keeps, like, keeps you going. I like building things. Uh, I love family. Uh, we just, uh, we moved back up into the country. We lived in the woodlands for the longest period of time and moved out closer to the pharmacy. And so now we're on a little bit of acreage, um, found a new church here. Uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, excited about just, like I said, effectuating some changes, helping other people build their businesses that I really love. Um, making money to give it away. It's a tool. Uh, I think that I know that there's a day coming in the future that God's going to say, I gave you as a steward X amount of money. So what'd you do with it? And I need to have a good answer. And, and hopefully the body of work uh, that I have will support the idea of, you know, maybe there's some things I did that were maybe a little self-serving, uh, but in general that you were a generous person, not only with your monies, but with your time, uh, with your different things. And so I'm, I'm either all in all out guy. And so from family, from work, uh, to all those different things, it's, it's kind of all in, uh, don't play much golf. Don't get out, uh, as much probably for athletic stuff as I probably should. Uh, but growing up, I always said that I was going to play golf whenever the kids didn't want to hang around me and they always want to hang around. So I never took up golf. And I'm grateful that that was the situation that the, the friendship that you have with your kids is, is good. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. What path forward do you envision for yourself, Rich? You obviously, you have the pharmacy that you oversee and you have CMPD. And we're going to have a message, obviously, to the, our audience in terms of how they can connect with CMPD and, and what that means moving forward. But you once again have a unique relationship with us because you've been a member with us for over two decades. And then you also have the business side on CMPD licensing program and what that all means to potential prospects and members that, uh, that we also work with. So <clears throat> what's, your, what's your path forward in regards to where you see most of your time devoted and, um, and obviously future CMPD expansion? You know, there's so many really talented people that do so many different things. Um, from a business perspective with you, um, I don't know exactly where I, Richie Specialty Pharmacy lands within your customer base. I think it's top 5%. And so from a business perspective, I think you probably would go, if we had several hundred or several thousand that had that same volume, that would, that would be okay. Um, for me, I think that getting the story out in front of somebody and go, hey, a level one licensing aspect that focuses on nasal health first, which is was predominant before COVID, but is after as well. You know, in order for a patient to have a lung infection, I view the nose as kind of base camp. You set up shop there and then the infection goes down. So nasal health is predominant. Topical pain management, a study that, that Gus oversaw and Eagle did with regard to specifically diclofenac, lidocaine, prilocaine, all bulk chemicals with two exceptions of a small amount of a commercially available aspects, but a patented compound 
that the study was done and shows deposition. He could go into the science associated with it. It's a really cool report. Um, but those two things are focused on. It's a flat fee per month to start out. And one of the things we learned is I, I like to learn from my own mistakes, but learn from other people's challenges. Um, we had gone to one particular event and we'd put it a year contract, which seemed reasonable. A lot of people have been burned by these contracts with different individuals. There was a year two year out and then you have to buy out. We have a 60 day out. Um, initially, if Mike says, I'd like to be a level one licensee, it's $395 a month and you can cancel with 60 day notice, period. You have to stop dispensing compounded drug products and different commercially available stuff that would be under patents. But it's really just your nasal health and you're in pain. And as you see that return on investment as an independent pharmacy, you go, okay, let's talk about these higher level licensing. Let's talk about getting into now the anti-infective, getting into access to limited distribution aspects such as Bacigel, that is a water washable, moisturizing over the counter gel. That's where we'd like pharmacies to be. But I think that anybody that starts, they're not gonna stop. Uh, yeah, we've had some that have exited, um, but by and large, if a pharmacy is seeing a reasonable patient subset, you know, if they go, hey, all I sell is Vicodin Xanax Soma, and I'm all in specifically on narcotics and different things of that nature. I don't think CMPD probably has a place in your practice, but those pharmacies really are not there as much as they used to be. If they're seeing a diverse patient population, whether it is retail setting and they really don't compound, CMPD is impactful. If it's a pharmacy that does not bill insurance, they're impactful, we have those. If it's a pharmacy that just compounds, we have those. So I think regardless of the pharmacy subset, I would believe that $395, which if my math's correct, that's $790 to invest in your business. It's not a big investment. And in order to really realize what it's about, you have to kind of try it. And so we're trying to craft this in a way where if Gus comes along and goes, you know, it's a year one to one to your commitment. I don't know we need to take that reservation away because I'm confident in the deliverable that we have and allowing you to walk away in 60 days, I think is one way for me to put my money where my mouth is, is okay. If in 60 days you think it's no value, just give me notice and we'll part ways, part way friends. Yeah. I mean, it seems, it seems like just, you know, from a business perspective, if I'm a small business owner, uh, I've got a, a single pharmacy or maybe I've got, you know, a group of pharmacies that I own, uh, I'm busy day to day. I've got a lot going on. Uh, a lot of small business owners are quite busy. You know, they're, they're handling lots of different things. So to be able to, to enter into a program that's kind of plug and play and uh, you know, opens up a whole market segment that they weren't aware of, I mean, you know, maybe just didn't have the bandwidth or energy to even discover that, 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 that market niche um, you're, You've put the time in to be able to figure out where those gaps are, yeah. vet out that, that gap, do the scientific work that, that I'm sure we're going to talk about. But um, it just seems like a, a nice sort of plug and play solution for, uh, for, for the membership that are out there just looking for new things that they can do for their patients, their communities, and for their businesses. From a business perspective, we've seen many 
licensees articulated of, it's like having an equity owner without giving up any equity, or I pay the licensing fee based upon the patents issued and pending, but in the reality is you're my research and development arm as well. Um, and, and both those analogies obviously are flattering, uh, but also I think factually correct and pharmacists are busy and yeah. you've got everything from the pharmacist in charge, 100% owner that's working the case every day and has a robust retail business to the one that, like you said, owns five, 10 pharmacies or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But as we look at it, we're trying to, to be all things to all people and that, yes, you know, some pharmacies based upon their their size, breadth, and otherwise, could they um, be more impactful based upon their size? Some could, of course. But is what we have to offer today impactful to any pharmacy and meets them where they're at? And it's my belief it does. Yeah, and, and complementary to the typical compounding practice that they already have in existence. You, you said that they may not even be a, a compounding pharmacy because some of the things that uh, that you've identified don't require a, a lot of uh, robust environmental control type type scenarios, but um, but whether you're doing a little bit or a lot of compounding, this seems to be accretive. You know, it's not it's not it's not a distraction per se, right? Correct. And I think the as you go forward, the part that I'm excited about is we have pharmacies that become licensees, they see success, but they haven't compounded at all, and guess what? Those pharmacies are going to become PCCA members in their journey, um, and that's that's unique. Uh, you have others that if you come into Richie's, you know, this is not a, a PCCA controlled company. Um, if you come here now, obviously you would look around our lab and you would see it as a Mecca to PCCA. That's my chemical wholesaler of choice. Um, I think that your quality of what you have speaks for itself, but there's a, a lot of licensees that use a lot of different chemical companies and they may not be as exclusive to PCCA as we are, but I think that there is just so many paths forward. You know, we, we don't do, you know, Richie's and a lot of our licensees do, but we only do non-sterile. We only do one state. We don't do anything hazardous. And so a lot of people conjure up in your mind, I think the natural reaction for people is if I don't know enough about Mike, my, my mind fills the void of what I don't know. I've, this glass has got to be full. And if I don't know enough facts, then I'm going to fill it with what I think it's about. And I think people have heard things about me and the fact that I've not gone to that many events or otherwise, and they, they conjured up aspects associated with what CMPD was, what it wasn't. Um, and again, you're trying to get out and, and tell your story and go, if you just listen, I think any of the, the thought processes you had, that you will see that they weren't founded. and yeah, it's not, it. it's not a something nefarious. I mean, this is this is, um, you know, like you articulated very clearly at the top at the top of the podcast. It's it's finding an area of, of clinical need um, overlaid with with the ethical standards that you put in place, and it's of course got to be fiscally sound. And I think that was what intrigued us about about the offering is because it was additive to the existing sort of compounding base of, of our membership and. Uh, one piece that I think 
what that that I like because I'm I'm a scientific scientific guy is is some of the science work that you've been doing. I know you've talked you've you've got relationships with University of Houston and been doing some good work there. Uh, we've worked with you on some joint uh, Franz diffusion cell in vitro studies to evaluate the ability of some of these formulations to deliver drugs into and through human skin and and look at the kinetics involved there to to clearly show that what you're doing is delivering these drugs. These are these are really meaningful pieces of science. Maybe you could talk to you to the the motivation behind doing that. So one of the things that I think we don't want to do pride before a fall, but we do pride ourselves in is we've been very deliberate about engagement with payers. And I think a lot of our peers and, and arguably maybe in, in the past, early on in my career, year one or two, I had the same aspect, hit submit, it went through and then it was, it was fine. Um, as you go forward, especially in this lane, as you go for commercially available or compounded medications used in new and unique ways, that are consistent with their PI if it's commercially available, but maybe not exactly spot on to it, you need to have data to support that. And everything that we do is that old adage of without data, you're just another person with an opinion. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to have some data to support those different aspects. Um, transfusion, so how, how it goes through the skin, will this pain medication be Efficacious, obviously you can't make claims of efficacious, otherwise it doesn't penetrate, yes or no. Uh, again, can it become a binary decision? And so some of those different studies associated with it, most of what we do, you know, the anti-infective realm, knowing mechanisms of action, knowing the different things, what is, what is a duplication, what is not. You know, it's interesting, we had a conversation with one payer about antimicrobial stewardship or antibiotic stewardship. And what that looks like. And I said, to me, part of antibiotic stewardship, I said, everything I reach for and we typically use, it's been around two decades. We're not using new things. We're deploying old medications that have been around a long period of time, using them through a different format to effectuate a change in a patient. And, and many of it, to me, it seems in some ways, I guess, this is my, the way my mind works, of it's logical that if I've got a patient that is morbidly obese that has a wound on their foot and they've cultured it and they've identified the causative organism through traditional methods or DNA sequencing or whatever it may be, and it shows sensitivity to ceftriaxone and the patient is pumped full of ceftriaxone and the wound does not get better, the bug and drug are not colliding. It's, it's the chocolate cake. It's looking at, it's not eating it. it. They're not coming in contact. And so just putting it on the skin adding other different medications associated with that to me seems a, a logical step because you're wanting to bring those two in collision. And so I think the data, I think having the story um, going proactively to payers and plan sponsors that'll listen to you uh, about what you do and how you do it is a more sustainable model because they want to understand. I don't believe, and there's some PBMs out there that, that certainly are maybe more problematic than others, perhaps. Um, but I think that there are people within those different organizations, at least the ones I met that really want to take care of patients and, but they don't want to be raked over the coals. And it's very interesting that some of the conversations we've had of, Hey, this is the approach. This is the science about it. I think you have exposure here. Um, 
I think you need to take a look at this. Here's different options associated with aspects bring to them concerns. You know, one of the meetings we had early on, I did not have a deliberate focus on, on talking to PBMs or payers up until probably 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and it was one gentleman from one payer, I still remember it, um, had came at, at our request. And it was a palpable meeting, which I didn't understand because he, we requested him come. And his statement was, he goes, we came down to figure out if you're a bad guy or not. Because there was a time that a lot of payers were being taken advantage of. And we spent a whole day together and, and got to learn each, about each other on a personal basis uh, from church background to this, that, and the other. And he goes, you've done a good job of the data and doing the right thing. And you don't do kickbacks and you don't do these. And, and we see that emulating out of you. He goes, but you've done a poor job in payer management and relating to different things and engaging fraud, waste, abuse on things that you see. Bad things happen when good people do nothing. And you could do better in management with regard to your relationships with those people. And he used the analogy, and I agree with it, of if Gus and I are going to eat dinner and Gus is picking up the bill, guess whose opinion matters more on where we go eat? Gus's. It's, it's mine. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's this, it's the same way with the different PBMs alike, is if you want something that is around 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, 25 when Riker and Roman are pharmacists, maybe it needs to be sustainable. And I think you need to get the message out in front of people and go, here's the right way to do it. And please put safeguards around this, that it can be around for decades, not a flash in the pan for one to three years. Can it be around long-term? Yeah. Well, thanks for doing the work of getting out there and, and, and meeting with those people and letting them know that, um, look, there's, there's actually some good responsible people out there that want to do the right thing. So congrats on that. Um, yeah, I would love to connect the dots. You know, I'm putting myself in the shoes of our audience. You know, our audience is actually quite astounding because we we get so many different individuals that have a stake in a compounding pharmacy. And that could be technician, an individual responsible for sales, someone leading up operations, you know, lab supervisors, whatever that may be. Uh, but I would say that really the core audience that we really appeal to is an individual who owns a pharmacy whether they currently compound, whether they have a desire to get started um, and they, they lean on the podcast, what, because it is open source, just to get a whole bunch of information. And, and Richie, you've, you've really captured at the essence what CMPD is and described you know, the different disease states and domains that you focus on. But I'm also putting myself in the shoes of that owner. So uh, this is a great episode. It's a great opportunity to learn from somebody like you who's doing something completely different. What's your pitch to that individual um, to start off? Just, you know, this is what we have available. This is the CMPD licensing program. This is what it could represent to you at the earliest stages. And, and Gus discussed it and brought it up as to it doesn't have to be the the most dynamic compounding space in the world it can be done in, in a very easy fashion uh, but what is your appeal to them how do you position cmpd for an individual as a business owner that's trying to seek the the financial incentive by being like you mentioned it best you know potentially having an equity partner without giving up equity 
having a branch of R&D at their disposal, um, access to intellectual property and patents. How do you position that, that information to an independent community owner uh, who's looking at you know, expanding and trying to do better things for the patients, better things for their prescribers, and most importantly, building their pharmacy business? I think really we focus on, you know, the, the level one aspect is we built a better mousetrap on utilizing budesonide, one milligram vials nasally in nasal health. It's, it's not patentable. People had pushed budesonide up the nose long before we did. I think our approach and how we've done it with compounded dry powder capsules that could be added to it is better. And so the initial part, Mike says, I, I'm interested. Ideally, what you would get an email within an hour or two from Holly, who's clinical support manager here, or Kelly Richard, who is operations manager, that email would say, hey, here's kind of a glimpse behind the curtain. Here's a nasal health training. It's about 30 minutes in length if you want to look at it. And we'd love to schedule a phone call after that. Some people will do that, and that's a great process to go through. It gives them, like I said, a, a glimpse of what the training could be like and the educational processes. If Mike goes, I really don't have the time, Richie. I need the 100-second elevator speech associated with it. This idea of giving you 30 minutes is just not going to happen, okay? Most of your patients that are reaching over the counter for Flonase, for all the different steroids, copious amounts of Robitussin and the like, are frustrated because they're paying too much. They're paying more than they want to. You're frustrated as a business owner because your margin is single digits. Utilizing budesonide one milligram in a reasonable way will typically get a generic copay to the patient. And it's my belief that as you educate just your existing patient population, you'll see an extra five to $10,000 in gross profit within a couple months. That's your 100 second speech. And so either way, you know, ideally the first one, they give a little bit more of a glimpse. Um, sometimes the second one, that's that 60, 100 second speech says, that's enough. And I will go back and I will listen to the 30 minute presentation on it. And then we'll circle back. But that's enough to capture interest because if somebody comes in and goes, hey, we're going to add $100 in profitability to your pharmacy per month, most pharmacy owners, that doesn't really excite me to deploy something new, which takes some effort. If you go, hey, within 60 days, it's my belief that you could be an additional five to $10,000 in profit in a clinically strong, ethically strong manner. That captures some interest. Because that person goes, that's that number times 12. So you're saying you're going to add 60 to $120,000, hopefully to our profitability per year. And my charge is $395 per month for this access. And I can break up with you in 60-day notice. That's risk reward. The balance tips in my favor. Extremely well said. So I think with, with all that being known of the program, what exists on the back end, you obviously called attention to Holly and Kelly as well. How does an individual who's listening to this, how do they contact CMPD specifically? They can contact Richie Specialty Pharmacy, but for the most part, we're assuming patients are not going to be in the Montgomery County area. This is really not a, not a podcast on the pharmacy itself because you do great things, and I don't want to take attention from that. But how does an individual who's listening to this podcast connect with you at CMPD? Um, we are small but mighty. You know, you don't have many people there. You leverage the great relationships that you have with PCCA and otherwise um, PCCA manages all the different formulas actually that CMPD has as well on your platform. Um, 
they just have access to it as licensees. More specifically to your question, they can go to cmpdlicensing.com and there's a get started section. They can fill out their information. Um, they can email any of the three of us and it's really pretty easy. Everybody's at cmpdlicensing.com and it's R-I-C-H-I-E-K-E-L-L-Y or H-O-L-L-I-E. And there's no exotic dot, middle initial of this. It's pretty straightforward. And we'd schedule the call. We'd have the conversation. Um, you know, Lord willing, somebody starts as that level one, that nasal health, that topical pain. There's some aspects associated with ulcerative colitis and even now Trexone deployment. That's all of that flat fee. And then as you transition up, now there becomes a percentage as a licensing fee of it, what you move. And so it's our intent that people go beyond that. But the initial ones, that is that is a base of just an understanding of approaches. And it, it allows them to try it out and see a great return on their investment in most situations very quickly where they're able to go, hey, this is worth, I want to do more because I, I like situations where we go, okay, Ms. Jones is not snoring as much. And this gentleman's spouse is not as mad because the fact is he doesn't have to wear CPAP quite as much. That's all fine and great. I like it better when we have a patient that goes, I was going to lose my foot. Physician was very confident that I was going to have an amputation in two months, one month. And he tried this as a last Hail Mary and he didn't think it was going to work. And guess what? I don't have to have an amputation. That's great information to take to anybody. It's a story about that patient. It's a story to the prescriber. And if you speak strictly about fiscal, it is very difficult for a payer or plant sponsor to go, okay, this therapy was expensive and it may have even had a comma in it. But compared to an amputation above or below the knee and ongoing prosthetic care, it's a drop in the bucket. And I think that's, I get more satisfaction out of those than you do of Gus can breathe better. You, you took the last question out of my mouth because I think that's, that's such a powerful story, you know, to share some of those patient outcomes that are probably more exciting to hear than, than the nasal, uh, nasal health situations. Obviously, still very important, but when you, when you bring, break it down to a limb and, and what that represents to a patient as a Hail Mary last resort, it's pretty unbelievable stuff. Mm. And I understand you're going to be at the PCCA International Seminar at the end of October. Yes, uh, I'm exci excited about that. We have a booth and even uh, PCCA has been so generous to actually get a few minutes on main stage. Oh, great. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, leadership team there has been very supportive and we're, we're excited again. Hopefully this is viewed by a lot of people where the story of me, of CMPD of you can run an ethically, clinically, and fiscally strong pharmacy. You know, I think too many times people go, okay, I can be ethically and clinically strong, but I'm not going to make any money. Or I'm here to bank and I don't care about ethics or clinical. That all three can coexist in a nice little bubble. And I hope everybody that attends sees this because then when they come by the booth and we talk, it's just how to sign up, how to start. And that's the hope of it rather than they didn't see this and, and it's just more efficient. So Lord willing, it has great penetration for you within the, the podcast community that you've done. Well, Richie, I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time out of your schedule for being with us. And for those that have 
you know, further interest in your program. Um, just a reminder, I'll, I'll let you say it one more time, but you'll, for those that are coming to International, they'll get a chance to hear from you from stage and they'll get a chance to meet with you face-to-face because you will have a booth within our Expo Hall. So one last time, how they can get a hold of you. CMPDlicensing.com, click Get Started, and we will get right back with you, I promise. I know you will. You're on top of everything, Richie. Uh, (laughs) Pleasure having you. Gus, thanks for doing this as well. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. It's great. Smoother talking than Sebastian. Well, he's got a lot of frenetic energy. (laughs) uh, And I I try to keep it real, you know, dignified and, you know, fireside chat. Amazing. Well, we, I appreciate it. And Richie, thanks again for taking the time. And thanks to all of our audience out there for tuning into this episode. Uh, For those that have more interest in learning more about Richie's CMPD programming, he did leave a various amount of ways to connect with him. Um, But obviously a great place to meet face-to-face would be at International Seminar at the end of October. I think this episode will drop just short of that event. So without further ado, for those that do not follow this podcast, hit that subscribe button so that you do not miss an episode. Follow us along on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This is Mike Delicio. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.